Book One, Chapter Seven of Gloriana, or The Revolution of Nineteen Hundred, by Lady Florence Dixie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gloriana, or The Revolution of Nineteen Hundred, Book One, Chapter Seven. Were you in the Commons last night? Did you go to hear Hector de Strange? Rather. I think all the world was there, or trying to be there. I don't think I have ever seen such a crowd before. What a wonderful speaker he is, to be sure! Yes, with the exception of Gladstone, I don't suppose there ever was one like him, or ever will be again. Talk of orators of bygone days! Pooh! They never came up to him. Well, the women have got the suffrage in full at last, thanks to him. The next thing is to see what use they'll make of it. Better, perhaps, than we men have. The speakers are two men, the Honorable Tredegar Molyneux, M.P., and Colonel DeVoe of the Blues. Nearly four years have passed since the events related in the last chapter. The world has been slowly marching forward, and many things have happened between that time and this. In the political world, and in Parliament, like everywhere else, Hector de Strange has made a stir. His eloquence and debating power are the wonder of all who hear him, and his practical, sympathetic knowledge of the social questions of the day has made him the idol of the masses. He has just succeeded in carrying his woman's suffrage bill by a large majority, thereby conferring on women, married or unmarried, in this respect, identical rights with men. And now today, in the monster hall of liberty, which he has founded, and which has been erected by the lavish subscriptions of the women of Great Britain, Ireland, and the world at large, he is to preside at the ceremony of its opening. It is a monster building. Talk of Olympia, of the Albert Hall, why, there are dwarfs beside it. In shape it is circular, and towers aloft towards heaven, its great dome pinnacle crowned by a cap of glass, which report declares to consist of a million panes. Around this glass a gilded crown is twined, and holding it there, one in a kneeling attitude, the other upright, with one hand high upraised towards heaven, are two gilded women's forms. They are the statues of liberty. The interior of this vast structure is wonderful to look upon. The floor or center is raised, and constructed so as to move on a pivot slowly round. It consists of an immense ring the middle of which presents the appearance of a giant circus. On the right, or side facing the great entrance, is a monster swimming-bath, and exactly opposite on the other side of the circus is a huge platform. Suspended in mid-air, a very network of trapezes and other gymnastic appliances hang, while stretched tightly beneath them is a monster net. Around the arena, with a low palisade separating it from the same, is a broad circular horse-ride, and raised slightly above this, running all round in a similar manner, a roomy promenade. Then come tier above tier, tier above tier of seats, amidst which here and there boxes are placed promiscuously, while dotted about all over these countless and seemingly never-ending stories are cosy platforms enthroned in a wealth of green, where abundance of refreshments are obtainable. The seats come to an end at last and are replaced by six broad balconies running entirely round the building, and built one above the other. Opening onto these balconies are what appear to the spectator in the arena as thousands of pigeon-holes. 
In reality they are doors, communicating each one with a tiny but compact room, in which stands a bed, two chairs, a wash-hand stand, a small dressing-table, and a writing-table. It is stated that in all, opening off from these balconies, are ten thousand rooms. These rooms have been included in the building to accommodate women students from all parts of the world, who may wish to take part in the physical drill or educational advantages afforded by this great central institute for the training of womankind. Attached to the Hall of Liberty are large lecture-rooms, studying-rooms and reading-rooms, and in connection with these a monster library. Outside the building are the stables, one of the wonders of London, the grooms being entirely composed of girls and women, and clustering round the mother's structure like a miniature town are the pretty cottages and dwellings of the immense staff of instructors, teachers, and lecturers connected with the institution. It is a wonderful structure, and its erection is a triumph, the magnitude of which can hardly be measured for Hector de Strange. It was he who conceived it, it was he who submitted it to the approval of his countrymen, and it was he who commanded the expenditure of the voluminous subscriptions, which in answer to his appeal poured in from all quarters of the globe. No less marvellous was the rapidity with which it arose, thousands of workmen having been employed in its construction. It is finished now. It towers to heaven like a mighty giant from some unknown world. The gilded statues of liberty flash back the sun's rays, and stand out to view for miles and miles around. All London is flocking to the ceremony of its opening, for is it not the genius that conceived and placed it there to be the principal functionary of the day? All is orderly in the streets. The vast crowd is held and kept in check by the military and the police. A good-humoured, happy crowd it seems to be, with here and there occasionally a little rough horseplay. But no harm is done. The people are on their best behaviour, for Hector de Strange, the idol of that people, has appealed to them to preserve order. The vast building is rapidly filling. Since the great doors have been thrown open, it has been one successive influx of people. There is no disorder, for there is a separate passage for the holders of each class of ticket, and along these the incomers are marshalled by the liveried servants of the establishment. It is a wonderful sight to see the people swarming to their places, and all the while through the building trembles dreamy music, which thrills the senses and makes them all aglow with gentle and tender feeling. At last it is full. There is not an inch of standing-room in all that vast space set aside for spectators. Every seat is appropriated. Not a vacant one to be seen, and it is computed that there are fifty thousand. Every class is there, from the prince and peer to the laboring man and peasant, all have come, attracted by the all-powerful genius who is to address that monster meeting this day. Imbued with the same feeling, impelled by the same curiosity, attracted by the same sentiment, that crowd of mixed denominations and sexes awaits his coming in breathless expectation. And it has not long to wait. The clock is striking eleven, when a distant roar is heard and the strains of martial music come floating from afar. In the great hall of liberty a sudden hush has fallen. The dreamy music has ceased abruptly, and a supreme silence reigns. Again that roar! It is like the booming of a thousand cannons. It is steady now and unceasing. 
It rushes forward along the dense walls of spectators that throng the streets on either side of the way up which Hector de Strange has to pass. A whisper runs through the vast hall, a whisper of suppressed excitement and expectation. He is coming! He is coming! He is on everyone's lips, as with eyes aglow and hearts thrilling with eagerness the people bend forward in their seats to watch for him. The crowds outside the building have begun to cheer. The martial music is very distinct now. The plaudits are every moment becoming more intense, until they break into a deep and prolonged roar. As they do so, the great folding doors of the Hall of Liberty are thrown open, and the people rise in a body to their feet. He is entering now, preceded by the band of the White Regiment of the Women's Volunteer Companies, playing a march triumphant, he passes through the giant portals. His head is bared, and he is mounted on a milk-white horse, which he sits with grace and ease. As he does so, the sun shines down on his dark auburn hair, lighting it up with the tints of old gold that play amidst the curls which nestled on his high, white brow, like the sapphire light in his glorious eyes shoots forth with a gleam of triumph as he surveys the magnificent scene. He is dressed in the White Guard Regiment uniform of the Women's Volunteer Companies, of which he is Commander-in-Chief. But the regiment itself is his own especial one. It was the first which he established four and a half years ago, when he first took the matter in hand. The idea has prospered since then, and the women enrolled in all the companies of the volunteer force numbered two hundred thousand. It is a fitting uniform for the occasion, one which he has done well to don. For the first business of today's ceremony will be the march past of the picked of the companies of these two hundred thousand. He has ridden round the broad, spacious horse-ride, followed by one or two especial friends, conspicuous amongst whom is the Duke of Ravensdale. The cheering is deafening. It never ceases for a moment. It swells and swells again, like the mighty mid-ocean waves that bear onwards in their wild career to break on the lone seashore. And now he has dismounted, and with his friends has taken his place on the evergreen flower-decked platform. Even as he does so, his dark sapphire eyes are raised aloft, and sweep with their dreamy gaze the thousands that throng that vast hall of liberty, as if seeking amidst the multitude one especial form. It is even so, and as they roam the sea of faces, all turned to his, they are suddenly brought to a standstill. The anxious, searching look within them dies away, giving place to one of calm contentment and repose for Speranza is there. The mother's eyes are fixed upon her child. Through the filmy distance of space cannot Gloria perceive this well? For a moment, one brief moment, the hero of the hour is Gloria Dolora, in the next he is Hector de Strange. The audience is still cheering. It seems as though it will never cease, but he raised his hand and like magic a great silence falls. Ladies and gentlemen, he begins, and the clear, exquisite voice thrills through the huge building. I shall have a few words to say to you before I declare the Hall of Liberty open, but first we will witness the march past of the representatives of all the companies of the Women's Volunteer Force, of which I have the honor to be Commander-in-Chief. A flourish of trumpets and loud cheering greets this announcement. Once more the great entrance doors unfold, 
the band of the white regiment strikes up a march, as through the portals, ten abreast, and mounted on grey horses, that regiment advances at a trot. And at their head is one whom we have seen before. Very handsome she looks in her uniform of pure white cloth, with the gold facings glittering on her breast, and her sword in its silver sheath dangling sparkling at her side. Flora Desmond is not greatly changed since we saw her last, in appearance certainly, but over her life has come a wondrous transformation. She is Hector de Strange's right hand, and in aiding him to carry out his noble aims is thoroughly in her element. The white troopers advance at a trot rapid enough, but as each line passes the platform on which Hector de Strange is standing, they break into a canter, increased to a gallop, whirling round the broad-spaced horse-ride in magnificent order. Looking along the serried line of horses' heads, hardly a hair's breadth in difference can be distinguished, so compact is the position which is maintained throughout the ranks. The march strains cease, and give way to a flourish of trumpets. Simultaneously, the galloping steeds are reined on to their haunches, remaining motionless as statues. Thus they stand until the voice of Flora Desmond is heard giving the order to retreat, when they fall into position and retire at the trot, she riding round to join her chief on the platform. And in this wise, headed by their respective bands and officers, representative companies of Hector de Strange's two hundred regiments march or gallop past him. The ceremony occupies some two hours, but they roll by all too quickly for the spectators who, spellbound by what they see, watch the revolving scenes with the keenest interest. The last one closes appropriately. Crashing and rumbling through the wide-open entrance dash the artillery. They come on at a rapid pace, and wheeling round into the vast arena form up into splendid line. The work of detaching the horses and unlimbering the guns is that of a moment. In the next, a tremendous roar rings forth from the mouths of a score of cannon which have been rapidly charged and fired. Ere the echoes have died away, the horses are again attached, the guns as rapidly limbered up, and one by one the gun-carriages dash from the scene, the great doors closing upon them. Then cheer after cheer rings through the densely packed building as Hector de Strange advances to the front of the platform to speak. But he is raising his hand once more, as though appealing to be heard, and again a great silence falls. "'We are here today,' the bright clear ringing voice declares, "'to open a building the magnitude of which cannot be measured by any other in the world. The Hall of Liberty stands here today as a living witness to the desire of woman to be heard. It was six years ago that I first saw it in my dreams. It is reality now and will endure through all time as a memorial of the first great effort made by woman to shake off the chains of slavery that ever since our knowledge of man began have held her a prisoner in the gilded jails of inactivity and helplessness. I stand here today prepared to deny that woman is the inferior of man, either in mental capacity or physical strength, provided always that she be given equal advantages with him. I go further still, and declare that in the former respect she is his superior. You deny it? Then give her the chance. I have no fear but that she will prove that I have not lied. You have today seen past in review 
10,000 representatives of the 200,000 volunteers that, in a little more than four years, have been enrolled and drilled into the splendid efficiency witnessed on this memorable occasion. Will you pretend, or seek to tell yourselves, that in warfare they would be unavailing? I laugh at such an idea to scorn. One of our most heart-stirring writers, I allude to White Melville, has left it declared in his writings that if a legion of Amazons could be rendered amenable to discipline, they would conquer the world. He was right. The physical courage, of which men vaunt so much, is as nothing when compared with that greater and more magnificent virtue, moral courage, which women have shown that they possess in so eminent a degree over men. And hence physical courage would come as an agreeable and welcome visitor where hitherto it has been forcibly denied admission. Men and women who hear me today, I beseech you, ponder the truth of what I have told you in your hearts. You boast of a civilization unparalleled in the world's history. Yet is it so? Side by side with wealth, appalling in its magnitude, stalks poverty, misery, and wrong more appallingly still. I aver that this poverty, misery, and wrong is, in a great measure, due to the false and unnatural position awarded to woman. Nor will justice, reparation, and perfection be attained until she takes her place in all things as the equal of man. And now, my friends, I will detain you no longer. In this great hall of liberty woman will find much which has long been denied her. It is but a drop in the ocean of that which is her right, yet is it a noble beginning of that which must inevitably come. I declare this hall of liberty to be open." That is all. He says no more, but with a stately inclination to the vast audience turns back to where his friends stand. His horse is led forward by a youthful orderly in the uniform of the White Regiment, and as he mounts it the band strikes up once more. Bareheaded as he entered, he rides slowly from the scene of his triumph, and passing again through the portals of the Hall of Liberty comes out into the densely wall-lined street, amidst the roar of the thousands that are there to greet. Such is the welcome of the people to Hector de Strange. End of Book One, Chapter Seven